Team, how are we? Welcome back to another episode of the High Performance Coach Podcast. I hope all is good in your world. Uh, it is Friday the 10th of November and I'm joined by a very special person, somebody that I've built a phenomenal relationship with over the uh, last few years. Uh, we have break uh, we've broken bread together we have ran together uh we've had a lot of kind of deep uh immersive conversations and uh he has become uh an incredibly integral uh part of the high performance coach over the last few years somebody with a huge heart an incredible character uh somebody that paves the path in so many ways uh, and somebody that I have so much respect and so much love for so i'm unbelievably excited just to open the conversation uh i think this is going to blow you away in terms of uh just some of the lessons the insights that will come off the back of today uh so without further ado do the reform king mr kieran sabira how the devil are you i'm good joe very well very well uh, off the back of uh running the uh 23 miles in the lead up to this marathon i'm a bit more tired than usual but on the whole i'm um, a good spirits and yeah life is good good dude and uh marathon is when buddy uh it's coming up next sunday the 18th i've actually not got a scheduled event you know how last minute i am <laughs> making my choices so it's <laughs> either being running solo again um or it's been running an event. Either way, it's gonna it's gonna get done next Sunday. Yeah, mate, class. It was. Uh, I remember last time when you uh, was it the marathon that you did that you having to run up and downstairs, uh, and you were like, you got last is that last November you ran your first marathon and gone. You, I remember you telling me like, yeah. In a in a, in a nutshell, I'll give it to you nice and quickly. I basically decided to do it in central London when it's the twentieth of November, and they just started Winter Wonderland for the first day. I thought, oh, let me run in Hyde Park. Didn't realize it was actually on. So I've done a loop of Pie Park and I thought, you know what, F this. Let me go to uh, Green Park. Went to Green Park, bloody change of guard was on. So they shut off the Mall. So I'm going, weaving in and out of these massive crowds. Um, one point I went down the Mall and the police officer dragged me in by my running vest to the size. So I've been running down. I've gone down to the embankment, road closure. So I've had to run up these, these stairs to get back to another road. I hit five footpath closures along the embankment. So I had to climb five flights of stairs to get over and I started running on main roads with no uh, pavements whatsoever got to Blackfriars I thought you know what screw this headed back to um headed back to Hyde Park for Oxford Circus and I just kept looping weaving and out people who were coming uh to to win a Wonderland for the first day so it wasn't a, a pleasant run I mean I was pretty proud three hours 49 minutes and I was uh as you know the prep wasn't great it was three months injury bursitis in my left knee and only had a, a month to prep for it after that but I guess that's just how we do. That's just how we do things here. Yeah, mate, absolutely. That you know, you know that you'll be making that an event soon. It'll always be like obstacle, <laughs> the obstacle marathon run. <laughs> like or or an interior, you have to go and find different, 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 different things, and uh, you've got to reach a certain amount of elevation through uh, through steps in order for you to now be able to complete complete, mate. And a frit like to be able to run some four, obviously under those conditions as well, mate. With obviously the prep and the lead that you now had, uh, and like what you'd kind of had to experience, mate, is also uh, a huge a huge win. So this time around, mate, what's different from last November marathon to like this uh, November marathon? uh there's a lot more meaning behind this goal i guess obviously what we were, i'm sure we'll delve into with regards to my accident this year um there's a lot of things that have changed in terms of like how my body responds to recovery um <laughs> essentially i'm making a joke of it among my friends and family that like i'm essentially running a marathon with half an arse cheek so if I, if I could do it they could do it but um yeah, because of all the trauma experience to the body, it's definitely a lot more challenging. But there's also um, a lot more grit and determination to to it to be able to do it. Uh, my body's probably not there to be able to do it. It's, I shouldn't be doing it. And doctors and other people I know quite close to me in terms of like physio and osteopaths have contested against it. But I think for me, um, you know, like we always say, we pave our own paths. And um, for me, it's it's important that I do it. And I said, I wanted to do it before my birthday. So I actually run it, started running back on July 9th and I have just about run a five kilometer. Um, so, you know, touch wood and, and hopefully all things go well. Um, but the lead up's been good up until about 14 miles. And after that, I, I really realized the, the impact the accident has actually had on my body. So I have to be a little bit kinder to it moving forward into to Christmas and new year and focus on regaining some balance uh, with, the kind of imbalances I currently have but apart from that um yeah there's just a lot more uh, meaning behind it which I'm sure people understand as we go as we go through the talk 
Yeah, no, mate, absolutely. And, the, and before we obviously do it, kind of explore me, take a deep dive into that, mate. I think like a testament to you and your character and the type of individual you are. We were on a call yesterday and you're telling me how you're running 23 miles and you got kind of 21 miles in and you're like, right, I need just to speak to somebody. Uh, and actually then, then mate, obviously you, you ended up kind of running, running alongside obviously a physician or a training physician who was then, you were telling the story and he also was like, <laughs> you're not human. <laughs> he literally just said to me, he was like, well, because it's quite... He goes, it's not quite inspiring. He goes, it's very inspiring. And he goes, and it's quite miraculous. And he goes, he goes, and it's, he goes, it's quite unbelievable. He goes, he goes, most people get demotivated after an accident like that and don't do nothing for six months. And he goes, and you're here nine months later, about to run a marathon, looking like you've never had an accident before in your life. And I was just like, I think I'm, I think we're really fortunate as coaches and people who uh, are in, in this industry and, have done a certain level of things in terms of uh, physical achievements and accomplishments because it teaches you a lot of things about yourself and also you know you know your body inside out you know what feels right you know what feels wrong and you know what to do to to recover the best way possible and you know like I said um, on the talk I gave at the HPC event the thing that got me through every moment of that recovery was telling myself if I had to live every day of these current circumstances how would I, how would I live today? What's the most I could do physically to, to bring my body back to a place where I almost feel in control of it again? Because when you're looking like a 17 year old boy again, you lost two stone and you've got no muscle mass anymore and all these traumas to your body, it's, um, it can be quite a, a challenging, frustrating, sad time that, you know, it can break some people. And uh, I've, I'm just very grateful I had who I had around me and obviously the life I've lived up until now has has only served me and what happened to me and I'm sure I'll go from strength to strength after um but yeah I don't think the physician quite uh <laughs> quite understood how I was uh running the 23 miles but I literally begged him to run the last two miles he was okay and I mean he was just out for he was just out for a casual 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 jog uh, and and then he's just uh, been met by this absolute reform savage who's, who's, who's just done 21 miles of half an ass cheek and you're not begging him play, and I was like, it was a very lonely 21 miles please let me run these last two with you yeah and he was, yeah yeah sure sure i'm sure he was looking at me a bit weird thinking this guy's gonna hurt me or something yeah. <laughs> mate but i think that's a testament to you and your character and obviously like the, the type of human you are and actually mate how you're a great kind of uh bring of people together and just that openness because um I don't know, again, like, even if I think about myself, like, I'd be 21 miles in, even if I was struggling, I don't think that would be something that I would do. And again, I think that's such a a phenomenal thing, obviously, like, uh, for you, which is why uh, I think you obviously have the impact that you now have. So, mate, if we now look at um, taking a deep dive into the kind of, like, the story that you now delivered, obviously, um, at the High Performance Coach Day, which was absolutely uh, mind-blowing, blew a lot of people away. Uh, there was a high amount of emotion, and actually the biggest takeaway that I got from the entirety of the event was actually uh, your talk. I remember us having a call. You just arrived in Morocco, and it was the Monday, and you were up, you were up a mountain somewhere by yourself, sat in, like, a, yeah, obviously in a hotel room, and we were talking about next steps and where you were going and what we now need to do and basically this is now the things that we're now going to take into place blah 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 blah. um and then i didn't hear anything from you um until as your brother then contacted me so mate let's let's go there and uh, and 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 let's take a deep dive into kind of like you your story and as the kind of talk said and probably the podcast title rock bottom what what is that yeah so i remember i remember it very clearly we um just come back off a 10k run in the mountains um at that point in time I, I could run through brick walls i was running quick even in mountain high altitude i was running a 45 46 minutes just casually um and then we jumped on a call and you know with business and wanting to be a better coach be a better person and just do better as a human being you you always want to improve and you know i guess at that point in time as well there's always a bit of ego alongside the achievements you want to attain um but for me, it was like, I want to do, you know, the London Marathon. I was training for the Ironman in September 2nd in Wales. So I was doing swimming lessons and I was going to do the London. And obviously Dan was going to program and get me on the bike. And, you know, hey-ho, I'd have probably done the, the Ironman in September. Um, but obviously things didn't happen that way. Uh, 
funny enough, I tell you the story. I was only on my own because my friend Krabby uh, forgot his passport and I ended up going out on my own anyway. I thought, okay, if you find it, come and meet me. Five days in, he still hadn't found it. Friend called him and goes, oh, I found it. And he's like, fuck's sake. He goes, can you extend for a couple of days? And he goes, I'll come out not tomorrow, the day after. So I was like, okay. So obviously the accident didn't even happen in the time frame I was meant to be coming home in. So I always remember I was going Monday to Monday and I extended until the Friday. Um, but yeah, Krabby come out on the Sunday and we literally spent a day there. Uh, moved hotel and I was like right you've got to see the Atlas Mountains um so we booked again got a guide and on the Tuesday 14th of February funny enough on Valentine's Day um rock bottom or made love to a boulder one of the witch uh we was about four and a half thousand feet up in the in the Atlas Mountains um so I can paint the picture for people listening it's not like the heat kind of Atlas Mountains is up in the snow which unbeknown to us we didn't actually know it was going that far up especially in that part uh, the altitude was actually fairly tough as well because um, we were coming from complete ground level from Marrakesh so we've uh, gone up having fun doing loads of jokes laughing and typical David Goggins shit running up the mountain and saying stay hard <laughs> um, but on descent we um, yeah we went down a path we probably shouldn't have um, us doing well I love doing cold plunges and dumb shit and we saw a little plunge pool and we actually asked the guide if we can go down and he said yeah so funny enough he went down first and yeah after that it was carnage I followed down and next minute I hear crabby scream my name I've turned round boulder whether it's 150 200 kilos what crabby was describing it as hits me on my head I tumble down 20 feet and then if boulder wasn't done it ended up rolling down and rolling on top of me um i was almost going unconscious when i noticed it literally just about to roll on top of me and if i didn't sit up in time it would have probably rolled over my head and you know i wouldn't be doing here any of these talks at all um so i've managed to stop it and it's literally squashing my abdomen so much my private parts everything um obviously i, I didn't know about the ripped skin all over my body at that point in time because of the collision and the pain I was currently going through so I've managed to move it to my right side it's basically broke my hip uh well not my hip my pelvis my iliac crest come clean off into my side pierced the wound in my hip in that moment I couldn't push it any further because I was either going to snap my knee backwards completely or there, I couldn't push it any further to the right because there was a rock in the way fortunately enough for me there was a little rock saving my kneecap from actually snapping backwards perfectly placed uh, along the medial side of my ligament so the outside where the ACL is um, was like tearing and lengthening double the size where the boulder was almost just trying to snap my knee backwards and ruptured all my knee tendons in the process as well about a minute and a half later we've managed to as a free because they were trying to move it themselves um, they couldn't move it for love nor money so I literally had to sit up with them and said on the count of three we're all going to push so we've pushed it off I've managed to drag my knee from under it outside it's falling back um and as soon as i've laid back crabby's put a bag under my head and i lost my eyesight for 20 minutes so in that moment um which i got very emotional about on the hbc talk um because it was like a a day of feeling there's everyone was there you felt everyone's emotions because i could see everyone was listening intently and you know i was reliving that that very moment when you think you're actually going to die and in that moment, I, you know, the, the the biggest thing I can say for people is every problem that you have in this life today, that really makes me emotional thinking about it now. Um, every, every problem that you think you have, everything that you're currently going through, every bad thing that's ever happened to you, or whatever wrong has been done to you, you'll think about none of it. You'll literally think about the life you've lived and who you're not going to get saved by to. And that is it. That's all you will ever think about. I see it as a gift now to be able to experience what I felt on that mountain. But obviously when you're going through that, it's gut-wrenching. You feel like your heart's in your stomach. You feel like you just want to be able to call your family and just tell them you love them. And, you know, for me, it was, <laughs> I think about death a very different way to probably what a lot of people do. And for me, I said, I've always said I've never been scared of it. And it's only when it's staring you in the face that you actually realize and, you know, I wasn't scared of it, but I was more scared of what I was going to leave behind. And 
when I um yeah when you when you're thinking about that it's it's surreal because you don't want to leave anyone to mourn your death that's the way I thought about it anyway I didn't want anyone to think I was unhappy or didn't live a good life or you know I made peace in that moment and I feel like because I made peace and because I didn't panic and you know you don't think cold plunges or meditation are ever going to be used in a life or death situation um but I managed to calm my body enough to to be peaceful and you know I focused on my breath and did breath work that I've learned and been able to manage you know you, you, I'm laying in probably three to two to three degrees on top of snow with water running under my back and you know it's probably the most unpleasant conditions but also later on finding out from the surgeon that those conditions probably saved my life as well because the bleeding on my hip where I lost so much blood I had to have three blood transfusions uh, they wouldn't let me out of ICU for six days until I had the third which they couldn't find my negative blood type as well oh negative so it's actually a rare blood type <laughs> which I didn't find out until the actual hospital itself um but yeah the phenomenal part of the story is I was up there for two hours which meditation made me made it feel like 20 30 minutes um only when my body was going through its convulsions and when the shock kicked in every now and again before I had to calm myself down with more breathing uh do you realize you know where you are and then two two and a half hours later um after laying there about half an hour before that sorry a, a Spanish guy come up put his sleeping bag on me wrapped me in gloves and probably right at the perfect time then the eight villagers the lifesavers I call them um trekked up two hours from their village um and bought two rugs a makeshift stretcher rope tied me in the rope in the rugs uh put me on the makeshift stretcher and stretching me down for two hours literally moving at the speed of light like my friend Krabby could not even keep up with them how fast they were moving down this mountain um and I don't know what kind of divine intervention, what people would believe, whether people believe in God, some higher spiritual being, whatever it might be, whatever energy you believe in in this world. There was a boulder that came down the same size five minutes after I left. The Spanish guy come down and told us literally in exactly where I was laying the boulder come down. So I believe in something. I don't know what I believe in, but it's uh, definitely something that was intervening that day. So I got down the, the mountain after two and a half hours, threw me in a makeshift ambulance. The only way I can describe it is like an estate car, and no equipment and just a stretcher that just about fits in there. I'm sure it was actually squashing my feet. <laughs> my feet were squashed against it. So it was a local village hospital. Guy looked at me, held his hands up and was just like in his, whatever he was saying in Arabic, probably just said, oh, I'm not doing nothing to this guy. Um, managed to patch my head up a little bit, patched up my hip, sent me on my way. In the process from going from the village hospital to the main hospital, I was just losing so much blood, like to the point where Krabby's arm was resting on the rugs. And I said to him, can you just tell me how bad it is? He went to turn around and there was just blood all soaked on his jacket. I just thought there's no need to tell me anymore. And in that moment, um, I was actually revising the words to say in my head of what I want him to say at my funeral. Literally in my head, like these are the words I want you to say. This is, you know, what I want you to stand up if you can to, to say in front of people. And in that very moment, everything I'd revised in my head, I was about to say it. And I felt like there was just like something that just like almost slapped me in the face and said, stop, like, don't say it. Because if I say it, I'm going to give up. Once I've said that, I think I'm, my body is going to give in. And then I made it to the hospital and rushed in and did all their CT scans and everything else. And then basically the surgeon turned around and said to me, um, you haven't got any bleeding on the brain because it was obviously quite a big collision, but we've got to go straight into surgery because you've got internal bleeding on your abdomen and we don't know where it's gone. So obviously there's no fear at that point in time and so much pain. I'm just like, I just want to be put to sleep. I just want to be out of this pain. Um, so yeah, the last thing he said to me, I said, how dangerous is it? And he goes, oh, you may not wake up. <laughs> I was like, great, <laughs> thank you. They just put me to sleep. Um, and then, yeah, so after that, I was in ICU for six nights, unbearable pain. Worst pain was bandage changes because there was so many, um, so much skin ripped off my body just from the fall itself. 
And then obviously the broken hip, ruptured knee tendons. Yeah, it was a horrific two weeks in hospital. Great staff and really lovely people and probably couldn't ask for better people to be looking after me, if I'm being entirely honest. Clean, um, very helpful. And, you know, whilst I'm using Google Translate to translate everything, um, yeah, I mean, I'm really grateful to the hospital staff as well as the people who got me off that, got me off that mountain. It was a, yeah, it's been a hell of a recovery on on the way back over the last nine months. Mate, powerful. And uh, even when I listen to this again, and obviously, wait, uh, obviously after the talk, and uh, I remember your, obviously your, your brother messaging me saying, "Joe, can you ring here?" And he's in he's in intensive care. And I remember, I remember ringing you. I think you'd just come out of intensive care at that at that point, and they were they were trying to change your uh, they were trying to change your sheets, I think. And uh, again, mate, like even from listening to like obviously you telling me the story then, uh, to mate, it, it kind of becomes even more uh, like like powerful, and I think just allows you to appreciate and acknowledge like it's a bit like when you read a book like the, the same book but like a few different times and it just gives you different perspectives and different lessons every every single time and i think it's incredible and mate off the back of that you how did you get home so they repatriated back through fortunately enough i had a, a travel insurance air ambulance i went paying 36 grand for a flight <laughs> but basically uh had a doctor and a nurse on there probably the most uncomfortable loud journey home ever four and a half hours um landed at uh landed at london luton and they uh, put me straight into an ambulance and took me to my mum and dad's where i spent a week and a half and i said to them after a week and a half uh, mom dad i'm going home and mum was like excuse my french no you're fucking not <laughs> uh, and i was like no, no i need to go i need to go home um not because i don't want to be here just because i don't feel like i'm gonna recover the way i need to um, I said, don't get me wrong, I love being waited on hand and foot, but having home cooked dinners and probably the best week and a half, two weeks I spent my family ever, most gratitude I've ever had, um, the most love I've ever felt. And it was amazing. At the same time, I, I knew it wasn't going to be good for me moving forward. And I think um, for my own recovery, my my own, um, I, I guess, I guess I see why people don't recover from things like that because people do pander to it. And whilst it's nice, I, I also think um, there's a, there's a necessary time to, to focus and, and try and do things yourself because it's important for just like anything, just like anything we do, any change we, we need to essentially go through. I think it's really important just to make sure that you can, you can do it on your own and you, you can't have your hand held uh, your whole life. Where do you think that comes from? Why, why do you think, what drive, what drives Kieran to have that mentality? I guess when I was younger, um, funny enough, from a HPC event, again, when you said, uh, who's said they're proud of you? And, you know, like, who's inspired you from a young age? And I never actually had, like, I love my dad to pieces and he's the kindest human being. Um, but I didn't find anything apart from his hard work ethic like nothing else for me was like an inspiring thing to to watch so I never really had like a a male figure um when I was younger I probably got in the wrong crowds as well in school and grew up in a rough school and really rough area at one time especially when mum and dad lost all their money but I think for me it's it's realizing that nothing in this world gets done for you and no one really actually gives a shit about you or what you're going to do people say it and people love you it's fine that's not going to do anything for for what you want to achieve and you know I think every decision I've made in in my life every hard decision has probably been one of the best decisions at the same time despite being the most challenging in the moment so I just got used to making really hard choices from a young age and I always felt really like different to a lot of people as well if I'm being entirely honest I never really was in a crowd I was always just a part of a crowd because I didn't know where I fit and I always perceive the world differently to a, to a lot of people when I actually think about it I've always been quite like a, a deep and meaningful person probably get it from my mum's side she's quite spiritual um so I've always had like this uh I've never had a need to fit in but I've always wanted to fit in I never needed to but I wanted to I guess because that's societal norms so I guess like the, the standing on your own two feet and, and making your own choices and doing hard things 
come from me also being like really self-critical about myself you know I got bullied from a young age being overweight um when I was a kid up until the age of 13 my fitness journey really started when I was 12 and I used to I used to rob my lunch every single day <laughs> and use my lunch money to be able to pay for the local gym to go and run on a treadmill for 60 minutes even as a fat kid and I was a fat kid and go, <laughs> trust me I was I was quite a balloon at that point in time um and I used to go and use every machine and rep out as many as I could, even I wasn't allowed to use them once, one set on every machine, as many as I can. <laughs> Little do I know what AMRAP was back then, but I used to do it. <laughs> you invented it. You actually invented it, mate. I invented the AMRAP. That's it. Um, <laughs> and then I'd go home. Uh, I'd throw my dinner in a bin, feeling awful because no mum and dad's money struggled at the time. And I'd eat one Maryland cookie because it was always in the cupboard. And I think, okay, that's good. So I was falling asleep at school and not doing well and my teacher started to notice it but I lost the weight so I realized from a young age if you do what's necessary there's a result at the end of it um and I guess that's what started my belief in in because I, I felt good despite obviously the feeling of being tired and lack of energy I realized that I can control something and that was how I looked and my health and obviously it wasn't good at that point in time because it's probably some some kind of eating disorder but I guess I taught myself reflecting on it that I can do something and manage it myself and then kind of spiraled into later on in life. And, you know, I think um, having that isolation, being bullied, built a lot of character in me. I don't think I'd be here if I, without it, if I'm being entirely honest. I don't think I would have potentially, I've always loved sport, but I don't think I would have gone to that kind of depth without the hardships when I was younger as well. And when you reflect back on the the accident and kind of being under that rock and being in that position, what are the things that, was there anything that you were now grateful for that you had now done previously? I know you touched upon obviously like the meditation, the breath work, the cold plunges, like um, what were you, was there any kind of gratitude within that moment for your former self and the work that you had now done? I think being strong. I know like aesthetically we we lift weights to, to to look a certain way and build a certain level of muscle mass but being strong like really actually did save my life in some way or another you know there was there was a lot of tools I had in my in my locker which I didn't actually realize that you don't realize will come to play in a in a situation like that you know then and then I know there's probably going to be a situation in the future where it does the same but it's it's having the belief and that you can you can withstand something like that and you, obviously at the time it's just you don't know what's going on you just got all this chaos going on around you and when the chaos is gone it's okay like how do I manage and control this and there's certain periods in my life when you make those hard decisions and you've you've worked hard your whole life you've not missed a fucking week of training since you was a kid and you've you know you've done you've done what you said you would which is the main thing you've built that trust within you to to do hard shit and I think that's why you know sometimes when you're younger you're really self-critical but when you when you go through something like that you learn to you learn to almost appreciate more like what you've done you're not so critical about it anymore you're like fucking hell like no I should be fucking proud of myself that I should, I've done all that shit you know that's I've gone got up in the mornings at 5 30 6 a.m to get in the gym when it's cold dark and wet outside and no one else wants to do it and you've just done the things that are necessary and I, I guess that's why it's nice being a part of the high performance coach because like I said at the talk it's not fucking normal what people do in here like if you looked around the room someone says I've run a marathon so someone else like it's normal <laughs> someone's done an Ironman yeah so someone else people do people in that room do hard shit every day and you know they don't they don't just say shit and not do it you know they're they're constantly trying to do more and i think that's not a normal um it's not a normal room to be in and when you're surrounded by what is the societal norm when you go into a room like that and you've normalized it, these set of norms where people are high performers you you know you manage the time very effectively you operate like a savage you fucking train like an animal you're you know inspiring influencing people around you it's not a normal thing to do but we we see it as normal and I guess I recognize and appreciate that that is not normal and I think my accident really made me realize that that what we do and even what I was doing then is 
is stuff that is necessary, even though it doesn't, you know, people are like, well, why do you do that hard shit all the time? I'm like, because when challenges do come, I don't see challenges as hard. They're, pro- they're not problems to me. They're just things I just need to get on with. And when people say it's like toxic to say, get on with it. Well, it's not really because when you've experienced hard shit in life, you're always going to have hard shit that's coming. So you're always going to be dealing with hard shit. And when you've been in a position that you force yourself unnecessarily volunteering to do hard shit, then when the hard shit comes, you're better, easier managing it. I think the one thing that stands out for me was when you said that the uh, the surgeon had said to you that actually what you'd now done previously, uh, and like, mate. So again, like, what you'll obviously you'll communicate it far better than me. What did he say? He basically said, um, "It coming around and every morning. It comes in my bed and he say this, <laughs> the same three words. You're so lucky. You're so lucky. This French accent. And then one time uh, they wanted to interview me." So they basically was asking like how I live my life and stuff like that because he actually said to me, he goes, you're, you're a walking miracle. He goes, you're going to walk out of hospital. And all the nurses always trying to drag me down. And I was walking up and down the corridor. They said, no, 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 you're not allowed to do that. And I was like, well, where's the stairs? Let me try and walk the stairs. And, you know, they're, that, they're saying, okay, we'll come with you. We'll come with you. And he said to me, because he laughed when I one time he saw me on the stairs and he just started laughing and he comes to my bed that later uh, later on that day and he said he goes listen people want to tell you to uh, to slow down he goes I'm going to tell you to stay the same and he goes how you live your life and what you do is the only reason why you're still here so he goes whatever anyone tells you he goes just live it the way you've been living it and he goes we can give you all the advice but the precautionary measures that we have to have and have to say he goes but I'm just going to tell you live the way you've been living which was what I needed to hear. And if you reflect on like who Kieran was before and his worldview and his perspective and how he saw things and what drove him, and now he looks at Kieran now, what's changed? World perception, (laughs) very similar still. Um, I just think I have a lot less ego with it a lot more compassion and a lot more empathy before like when I coached even though I, I'd probably say I, at the time I wasn't I still was I'm still coaching people from my map of the world and not their own and I think what this accident has done for me is just made me a lot more empathetic and emotional which is a good thing for me because my childhood in areas maybe emotionally numb to seeing people sad so I couldn't show emotion in the moment despite still feeling what they was experiencing there was a numbness to showing the emotion even though I was still experiencing it internally and then for me like everyone says I'm different and I feel different in terms of I don't I'm not snap I don't get snappy at certain things and I think for me all the things I had learned about gratitude and appreciation and the way the world works and being a better human being. It's like, I didn't need to embody that after what happened to me. It just came naturally. So for me, it's like, I don't want to do anything to upset anyone. I don't want to say anything or do anything or, or act in a certain way because I know now for me, life is just about being a better human being. So my coaching moving forward and, what I want to do as we were talking yesterday about like, the kind of discrepancy between Kieran then and Kieran now and how do we piece both together because I still want to be a savage and still want to do all these great things but there's also this this other um door that's been opened of all these new things that have entered my life and um yeah I think more so is I guess in a nutshell the answer to your question is it's just a lot more empathy compassion and and feelings towards others and understanding them from from their worldview and their map of the world and really realizing that your opinion is always wrong our opinions are almost always wrong and there's no need to be right there's just a need to be a good person be a better human being you mentioned in the in the talk that there was a couple of kind of quotes that kind of really got you through 
during obviously the kind of the challenging periods when you're at home and uh, you've been kind of waited on hand and foot, which is obviously nice for the, uh, for the, for the short period of time. But then it was, I wanted my autonomy and independence back. What, what were those things that kind of were the North star and the lighthouse for you that gave you the number one? In that? Yeah. The, the number one was the one I mentioned already that saved me and <laughs> that got me out of my bed every day. I, I can't even like explain to people like, there's traumas and there's traumas because there's so much that was going on with my body you know the the broken pelvis but also like my my lumbar was probably the the thing that hasn't I didn't realize at the time there's so much nerve damage still like I said you're running a marathon with half an half an arse cheek uh around the coccyx area and you know it's numb like even when I had massages on it there's not really like any feeling and I've had therapy for every week, like scanner therapy and things to try and fire up uh, the, the neurons in the area. And um, yeah, everything, everything, every trauma that I experienced, I've never been able to push through it unless I said to myself every morning when I got, when I woke up and I opened my eyes and my sleep routine was awful. And I was getting up at like eights and nines and half nine and 10. And I was like, oh my God, it's all over the place. I'm like, who am I anymore? Is if I had to live every day with these circumstances, how would I live today? It's the most powerful thing. I had. To, I literally said that to myself every single morning. I looked in the mirror. I sat on the end of my bed, which took me fucking sometimes five minutes to get out of. And I just said to myself, if I had to live every day with these circumstances, how would I live it? And of course, you worry about a lot of things when, because your whole life's been turned upside down. You worry about business. You worry about work, finances. You worry about um, you know, how your recovery is going to go, whether your body's ever going to be the same again whether you're going to be uh, the same person because of it or like what's life going to look like moving forward. And then there was a quote spoke about an old man and he, he once said that I have had many worries and fears and almost none of them ever happened. And it's like, we, you know, and, and the biggest kind of point I was saying in the, the talk was the power of now of being in this moment. And being bringing your consciousness to to now and understanding your thoughts and realizing they're they're not you, and that we should detach from them and and try and observe them and see where they're coming from, because like most people have like these anxious feelings about the future and overwhelm and you know they get depressed with thought alone and you know the biggest gap, well the only gap between now and the future is anxiety and when you dwell on the past it's exactly the same the bridge between both is worry fear guilt you know all these negative emotions and feelings that you experience and i just got very good at bringing my consciousness to the moment and just being in that moment okay what can i do now that's why both quotes meant a lot to me because why do i need to put my head in the future of course it's nice to have the ambition and to attain new things and have that drive which i've lacked a lot lately but what's made me happy is you can't actually have a problem if your consciousness is in the now you can't have a problem you bring your consciousness to this very moment, this very talk that people listen to these words back. If you were to sit there right now and think, how am I in this moment? If you were to sit there and even think, what's what's going to be my next thought? Probably couldn't think anything because your consciousness is so in the now. And going through this shift and this change, I mean, it's really powerful, really powerful. Going through this shift and this change, you just said that obviously you struggled a little bit with the maybe the passion and the drive what have you had to work through and what have been some of the challenges with respect to that? Because there's almost been a, of course, like a, a shift now from old Kieran used to be able to do X, Y, Z to now like new Kieran who now has a slightly different kind of, I love the same worldview, but slightly different worldview. So what have been some of the challenges you had to experience with that kind of that shift that wasn't voluntary? It's hard because as you would know, like with business, you know, we're heavily focused on, you know, earning a certain amount and having a certain amount of clients and doing all these things. But when you when you lose the drive and passion, because it doesn't mean that much to you in this moment, because I think the focus for me is like this year is about me. And I want to be able to give as much as I can to my current clients. And I still want to see if I've got, as we spoke about, I still want to see, like, I can take on new clients, I can still do new things, which I can, I know I can. But this is something this year has taught me is you just have to 
what I found so difficult before was like, when you have these challenges, you worry so much and you the challenge the, the challenges before don't feel like challenges anymore it's really strange just because of the fact that i'm and don't get me wrong there's a new set of challenges because i don't have the drive and the focus and the you know i think i've as i said to you yesterday developed some sort of uh attention deficit disorder or adhd because my mind just can't focus on nothing but i guess that is also correlated to the lack of passion and drive to to go to the next step because there is such a disconnect between who Kieran was and who I'm now stepping into. And like we said, you know, that there's, there's all these new things that I'm experiencing and new map of the world and different feelings and, you know, business and money and travel and everything was up here before in terms of values. And then it completely shifted to like family, friends and time spent in your home and in the moment and in now. And it's like, okay, now I've got to really try and piece this puzzle together because there is still, the element of Kieran who he was before and what I want to do and what I want to be and obviously I know my body's not the same and but I will fucking get it back to a place where I know that I can still smash through brick walls but there's also this don't fucking rush like enjoy the moment enjoy the recovery even though it's shit <laughs> even though sometimes it's really fucking challenging and no one's going to really understand it and no matter what facade you put on or how you know bold you can show you are or how strong or how courageous you are you're still a human being. You're going to experience what everyone else does, no matter what anyone passes on Instagram or anything like that. So the challenges is like, like constantly being myself and just showing that, you know, it has been hard and I'm still going to post about this. I'm still going to show who I am now. And I'm not going to let my ego step in the way of that. But I also want to bring back, you know, the, the, the Kieran who's a savage. And, and I, I still think I've been a savage up until now. The recovery has been a, a tough process and, um, I think for me, that's why this means a lot. I said, I'm even throwing a birthday party this year and I don't ever throw birthday parties apart from it's like a 21st or 30th. Every year is being celebrated. Everything that I'm doing is, is has a different feeling being generated. And I just, if anyone's listening to this and you don't make the most of events, scenarios, situations, date nights, walking the fucking dog, going walking into the gym and appreciating that you have everything you need and you can actually do everything in a very happy and peaceful way that you, you probably not doing it right now you're just taking it for granted then you're missing you're missing part of the trick you're missing you're missing some of the the key things in this life which is you have everything already it's nice to attain more and the challenge for me now is like i still want to attain more I still want to be ambitious. I still want to have a great impact on this world. Like one of my biggest goals I wrote down three years ago when I first ever did a life mission was, you know, I want to leave this world a better place than it is. And to be able to do that, I still need to have all those things that I currently not put on pause. I've just let it sit in the background for a little while. So the challenges are like, it's there's this new Kieran, there's this old Kieran, there's the Kieran who I want to step into. Now it's like, how do we piece these puzzles together? The challenges I had before, the challenges I have now and make headway and stepping into something that I haven't stepped into yet. If we look at the road to recovery, you talked about, obviously, like I still feel like I have been a savage. And I think for anybody that wants to actually just now go and look at kind of Kiri's journey, go and jump onto his Instagram and uh, go and have a look at like even your, like your physical, the physical progression. Uh, and even remember like you just kind of, <laughs> you've been a stubborn, a stubborn, stubborn man and gone back into the gym and just by, like, by hook or by crook. Uh, just being determined just to do like certain uh, certain movements and uh, just having that kind of willingness to keep showing up, even though sometimes may, may not have been the uh, the best idea, but it was just that that desire and that willingness and that openness and that drive to want to be able to like prove to yourself. Yeah, I, basically, the story is I, I went to the, the, the nurse and she took my stitches out. This is after about four weeks. And I was like, right, can I go to the gym tomorrow? And she looks at me and she's like, oh, no. She goes, you're one of those people. She goes, I'm not going to be able to tell you what to do, am I? I was like, no, no, you're not. I was like, but is it safe? She goes, do what's comfortable. And I was like, right, that's all the, <laughs> that's all the advice <laughs> I need. So there's me crutching my way into the gym the next day. Um, so that was after four weeks. 
And I was there every day, every single day doing what I could, not going crazy, listening to my body and just creating creating a feeling through movement. If I didn't do that, if I weren't around energy and the people, the people I know coming up to me and workouts were taking three, four hours. I fucking love spending time in there. It was like, it was like a social as well as I got energy. I didn't have to think about my injuries. I didn't have to think about what was going on. I could just be in the moment, talking to people and I'd never give people that amount of time in the gym. And it was just, it was lovely. Don't get me wrong. Some of the sessions were so bad just because of it, but just being in that environment, having that energy. And I, and I do feel like when you have that around you, it makes things, when your brain is, function the way you need it to I feel like it heals your body in a way that you don't really realize and I think for me even after six weeks a stupid two things I did were really stupid I didn't mention on the the HBC event after six and a half weeks I climbed Snowdonia with my clients with a broken uh, pelvis stupid <laughs> it swelled up really bad after end up laying in a bath of Epsom salts for about an hour and a half and then two weeks after that I went and did Tough Mudder with my clients both events I said I won't do and then obviously once you go there, you're like, oh, can't let them climb it alone. So when I did both and then, yeah, that's when I realized my body's not the same and Kieran, you can't push it that far. Um, so those were two wake, wake up calls. But I think just being in the gym and and having having that mindset to say, okay, I'm just, just going to do what I can. Just do what you can and just see what your body can do. On those difficult days, what were the anchors that you almost like anchored yourself to that gave you that? certainty or hope facing a feeling for me knowing that if i stay in bed there's only one feeling that's going to generate and i think i keep playing things forward in my head i'm like okay if i do this then this is how i'm going to feel this is the result of it then i'm more inclined to probably eat shit which isn't good for my recovery of my body things that we tell our clients really you know what i mean like it's when I know like if I play it forward and I go to the gym, whether it's a good session or not, I've disciplined myself to be there with on crutches and doing what I can. You know, people think you're crazy and people think, you know, oh, like just doing more damage. And obviously you're not, you know, your body when you've, <laughs> when you've had a good relationship with your, your body, your whole life and you've put work into it and you've loved it. Like I said, on the talk, your body's working for you your body's number one goal is survival. Obviously we're not meant to have massive amounts of muscle mass, but you know, give your body back what it gives you appreciate your body, appreciate what it does for you. And, you know, I know sometimes we go above and beyond and we push it to another level, but that's because your mind's trying to tell you something different and that's a battle of the mind, but your body can do it. Your body is like, yeah, fuck this. You know, if you, if you can defeat that that mindset, we can we can get you through this. And even that 23 mile run I did the other day, like I said to you, my ankle was fucked after, excuse my French, sorry. Um, you know, my ankle inversion was causing so much pain. Mile 19, I was just willing to throw, well, even mile 10, to be honest with my lower back, I was just happy to throw the towel in. No one will know, don't tell anyone, didn't tell anyone I was doing for 23 miles a day. And then you have that mindset that kicks in that, because you you know who you are deep down you know that you can and whether you walk it or whether you jog it or whether you limp it it just needs to get done and I think for me that's the anchors I always have if it can get done it, it needs to get done because I don't ever want to lose that trust of myself so if we come back to the marathon now and obviously you can give a what's what's drive what's driving that that will to get to the finish line and to get this done. Don't feel like I've had a breakthrough unless I do it. Don't feel like I've really, there's so many reasons like getting over that line. Cause obviously, as you know, that like, it's been emotionally taxing, physically draining. Um, it's taken a lot. These big runs are, you know, whereas before I could just do them, wake up and do it. <laughs> like I did the marathon last year. But this time is, I'm really having to fucking work here. Like I'm really having to push myself. I'm having to put pure grit and determination to to get those miles in. And there's a selfish aspect behind it personally, but there's also like when I, when I do want to throw a towel and I'm like, well, if I can do this, if I can show people that this is possible, <laughs> running a marathon half an arse cheek and a fucked up lower back and so many imbalances. 
I'm sure people are going to look at this and be like, if he can do that in nine months, I can definitely get my shit together. I can definitely start something. And I've had loads of messages from it. Like people saying I've had you no know, shoulder surgery. I've had a ACL reconstruction. I've had this and I've had that. And your story has just motivated me just to, just to do it. You know, like you, people I don't even know sometimes, they just give me a random message saying, oh, by the way, just wanted to let you know, you know, I weren't going to do anything tonight. And, you know, I thought about all the things that you've been through nearly dying and it just got me up. And all those little messages, even I said on the HBC event, when people say, you know, how are you doing? I hope you're doing well. You're doing amazing. You're recovering well. Although we put on this highly masculine facade, those messages mean the world. Like people don't realize the, the power of one little message that can literally change the scope of someone's day or get you through that one run. You remember, like, sometimes it's like a trigger. I remember what someone said to me in a message. I'm like, come on, I could do another mile. I could do another mile. And before you know it, you've done it all. So those little things just stay with you and they really help you. Um, it implies a lot of meaning to a goal. And I think that's that's the biggest thing about this one. And the guys that came up to rescue you on the mountain that you you mentioned, tell me more about how that's driving you. So in my head, yeah, I've always said I would never be able to do any of what I've done. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have done any of these talks. I wouldn't do any of this running. I wouldn't be with my family. Nothing. Kieran wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those eight guys who don't even know me, who haven't got a pot to piss in, live in clay houses, no windows. One guy was running me down in bloody flip-flops. And I was, <laughs> you look at their their way of living and, you know, I'm obviously doing this to to raise the money for them and you know what's really small to to them is sorry what's really small to us is huge monumental to them like in a way you can't even comprehend you know it's like a third world country and they don't even know i'm doing this i spoke to the guide yesterday who took me on the mountain i said i need to find the eight guys who i haven't told him what i'm doing either i just said i want to come to uh, morocco next year and say thank you um but this time obviously i <laughs> i want to honor them to to being good human beings for being able to carry me down the mountain for two and a half hours after trekking up for two hours to to save my life um yeah my life's indebted to them so yeah it's a it's a it's, it's an amazing thing as well as obviously you know i, I know once i finish that over that finish line it's not just about me because i know there's um there's a lot of people who who are the reason why i'm still here whatever intervention was up there these eight men the surgeon the hospital staff and then obviously the recovery the family the friends the people that supported you people that helped you people that put the weights on on the machines in the gym all those little things are meaningful things for you to, to have that first breakthrough, all those things added to that recovery. It's not just me. It's not about me. It's about all the people that helped as well. And now looking at what, what you have, where you are and the position that Kieran is in, what what phase and what what's next and what does life now look like moving forward in, in your mind and your landscape? <laughs> as we discussed, I've got all these ideas, all these things I want to do. Um, I think the important thing for me is impact. What can I do in every realm, not just coaching people individually, not just being a part of my program. You know, even me discussing that with you as a kid when I was younger, having no inspiring uh, role models around me. You know, I want to go into schools and educate, whether it's giving a kid, you know, that one say in that one thing they can take away that might actually change their life. As you said, you've probably got those role models in, in your life as well. Um, and then just being able to talk about this even more because, you know, I haven't spoke about it enough. haven't been, haven't put myself out there yet. And I feel like this marathon is almost like the benchmark of like, this is it. This is, this is when I put myself out there and I've really started to make a difference with, with my story, with what's happened to me, with the challenges, but also who I was before and how I can now, like I said, piece the puzzles together to to make a bigger difference in, you know, in a, in a world as we know that that needs a lot of uh, a lot of change. Yeah, 
and I said this to you yesterday and I'll kind of repeat it I think obviously before um, you know you, you were incredibly uh, growth orientated driven incredible character charisma obviously wanted to get after it make a huge impact uh, you had a phenomenal culture community and you just were kind of continually trailblazing leading the way and you were so person-centered as always um, and that's that's still there I think for me just now looking at it as a kind of like passenger per se as I think I said you so there's just a degree of like openness and calm and control control and um just now with like a different a completely different aura and perspective and I think now like we spoke about it's just now this kind of exploration you've obviously done a lot of like additional kind of like work and uh, had obviously a lot of additional kind of um like support as well which is again like this journey you're now going on which is uh amazing but like for, for me dude I think it's it's an absolute testament and a credit to you just to see how you've been able to just tackle and handle um the situations the challenges uh that have now been in front of you and just now going through the, the shift in the evolution uh that you have done like physically personally professionally uh, I think is, is a credit to you and uh I know the impact that you've already had on um, so many of the coaches inside the high performance coach hopefully some people obviously listen to this podcast as well and I know like so much more in terms of now what's to come because this is just more kind of like greater degree of I want to use the word like well-roundedness like complete in terms of just uh, the capacity to now be able to just see things through different perspectives and through a different through a different lens and uh make the way in which you've now been able to turn up, but yeah, it is, is, a, is a credit to you, mate. And it's been a huge inspiration, like for myself and, and the guys as well. Um, obviously, the kind of operating the team and have just kind of watched to witness you just sometimes, sometimes naively um, and stupidly uh, kind of go after like Snowdonia and uh, and Tough Mudder, but also uh, like that, 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 that's you, you know, and that, that's the thing. It's like, like you can't you, you like that almost like the surgery you can't now lose that because that's Kieran Tabura and that's that's what makes you you and uh I absolutely love that about you dude so no mate absolutely absolutely incredible uh in terms of how you now want to leave this leave this podcast what would be the be the biggest lesson if you could now go back to like Kieran pre pre-Morocco what would you say to that Kieran then that you now know now well first and foremost before I go into that just want to say thank you to you and obviously Troy, Ben, Dan, Jen, all the HPC coaches because it's allowed me to to be on this recovery with with people who can still push you and drive you in a way that most people don't really recognize and having that in my corner has also made a big difference obviously you know thanking you for bringing me on the podcast be able to share that lesson but I think most people don't realize sometimes when you've got genuine people in your corner, whether it's family, friends, what you invest in as coaches and, and mentors, it actually makes a very, very huge difference to anything that you do, not just obviously the recovery. So obviously for the last two years, it's been massively beneficial. Um, in terms of your question, um, what would I say to Kieran before? This is a really interesting question. Because I always think back to what I'd say to Kieran as a child as well. And I guess for me is he stopped living in the moment and he just had all these things, doing all these things. And whilst they were little highs, instant pleasures, the process is the most enjoyable bit. And if you can't enjoy the moment and the little things that go wrong and the things you learn a lot from, the little failures, the big failures, um, and also like you don't want to, put aside your relationships in the in the quest for more because more never really actually gives you anything it's actually what you do in that process and in that moment that really makes the difference and if we can't be happy with what we have now what we do now and where we're going then we can't actually ever be happy with more and I think obviously people would have heard that before but I think for me it's like you actually really have to embody that you actually have to identify yourself as someone who lives in the moment and yes you're ambitious and yes you want more but the biggest lesson I can give you is that Kieran was nowhere near as happy as Kieran now even though he had a lot more had a better business had more money um, could do more things and I'm not saying that I won't ever come back but there's a different level of gratitude and appreciation to once that does come back and when it goes further and further and further it's so important that you are able to really take as much appreciation and gratitude from those moments because 
biggest lesson I could probably give you is when you leave your front door tomorrow, tonight, you're not guaranteed to come back. There's nothing guaranteed you in life. So if you can't enjoy the moments, then you're going to miss out on probably a lot of, a lot of happiness. Mate, what a way to finish. Dude, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Uh, team, I hope you've been able to enjoy today's podcast. And uh, if you want to now go and watch Kieran absolutely crush uh, a, a marathon nine months after being, uh, in his words, rock bottom, uh, then go and check his uh, Instagram out. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty more to come. So dude, so much love for you. Thank you so much, buddy, for coming on. And team, I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode. Speak soon.